Good morning, Eden Church. How many uh, of you, myself included, are only children we have in the house? You can admit it. Um, if you're online, just type in, uh, type in only the best. That's, I don't know what that means, but I just made that up. Um, as an only kid, I really didn't have to wait for a lot. So just for example, I, uh, I didn't have to wait for my sister to get out of the bathroom so I could get ready for school. Um, I didn't have to wait for my little brother to finish playing the Nintendo so my friends and I could play games. Um, or for those of you, it was actually the Atari 2600, if you guys <laughs> remember that console. Um, I didn't have to wait to use the car because my brother was driving to football practice or something. So all that to say, I just, it wasn't um, as much as grateful as I was for those things. I didn't, uh, it didn't help me become more patient because I'm already impatient and not having to wait for stuff didn't really help me become any more patient. Um, at Christmas time, though, I did have to wait to open presents. And so that was just, that's, that was super difficult. Just, I think most of you can... Relate to that, um, there was one year I was uh, in elementary school, and at the top of my Christmas list was this thing called the Ready Ranger Backpack. So if you don't know what the Ready Ranger Backpack was, it was this really cool backpack that had every gadget that a young boy could ever want to have in it to be ready for any situation that they ever faced. Um, it had like a little signal mirror, like a compass if you got lost. It had a secret compartment, because everything that's cool has a secret compartment. Um, it had like this little periscope, so when you needed to spy on people around a corner, you could look through it. <laughs> so when I saw a package, a present appear below the tree that was, looked like the size of a Ready Ranger backpack, I was super excited and I had a really hard time waiting to open it, but I, I held myself back. Um, and Christmas morning, I opened it, it was, this, it, was my, it was my dream come true. I put it all together, I played with it all day, I, I think I probably wore it when we sat at the dinner table and all that stuff. <laughs> Um, and like with most toys, I played with it for a few days, and then I stuck it in the closet, and it started collecting dust. And there's probably a sermon illustration in there, but the whole, that's, the whole point of that story was that it's just really difficult to wait, right? I think we live, we live in a society that instant gratification is king. We just don't like waiting for things. And um, so just think back to when the pandemic started. So we all went to lockdown, and um, we just thought, okay, when is this going to be over? And nobody knew. And when are we going to be able to go back to the store and buy toilet paper? We're all asking you that question, right? I just, um, my nonprofit organization in, um, right after the pandemic started, we were planning an event the end of summer. So this is like August 2020. So maybe April or May, we started planning and talking about it. <clears throat> um, we had been in lockdown just for a couple months. And uh, we were talking about, well, what kind of swag can we buy for people to put our logo on? so we could give out people to come into this event. And so the idea came up, let's get masks. And we put the BWHC logo on it, and we started talking about it. And in all of my wisdom, I just said, you know, that's like, that's in August. This is all going to be, no one's going to be wearing masks by then. We're going to be done. The pandemic's going to be over. And so we're going to get all these masks. We're going to give them to people, and they won't need them anymore. So that tells you how good at I am at predicting things. So <laughs> just a mental note, don't ask me who's going to win the Super Bowl, or don't ask me who's going to, um, what stock to buy. Um, but here we are, almost two years later, we're still waiting. When is this going to be over? We're still waiting. Um, there's a, for those of you who aren't familiar with, with the Christian calendar, there's actually a year that breaks up our, there's a calendar that breaks up the year into seasons for the church. And so we're in the season of, what season are we in? Anybody, anybody know? Advent. So we're, we are in the season of Advent. And Advent is a season of waiting. So if you're not familiar with Advent, um, Advent is... Usually, it's the first four Sundays before Christmas, 
And um, not only do we celebrate, well, Advent comes from Latin. It means the arrival or the coming or the appearance of something. So uh, hopefully it's kind of obvious we celebrate the arrival of Jesus when he comes to earth in the form of a baby. And so Advent is part of preparing ourselves for that, but there's actually a dual purpose to Advent. Not only do we celebrate that Jesus came to the earth as a baby, but we also celebrate and we anticipate that Jesus will come again. And we were just kind of singing about that, that Jesus, will, Jesus promises he's going to come and make things all right again. That in a world that's full of darkness and hurting and brokenness, Jesus will come back. He'll put everything back into right relationship with himself, humans with one another, humans and God, and, and all of creation. And so um, Advent not only celebrates Jesus' birth, but we're also in this waiting period where we, we anticipate and we expect what's going to happen when Jesus comes again, his second Advent. Um, some people use Advent calendars to celebrate Advent. Has anybody used an Advent calendar before? Nobody. There's, like, <laughs> there's a few people. So an Advent calendar is typically something where you, um, you open like a compartment every day of Advent, and every day there's something new. So it's, it's kind of a, it's just a preparation as we approach Christmas. And I think like for kids, often each compartment has maybe like a candy or a, a scripture verse. Nowadays, there's all these super bougie advent calendars. You can get, like, fancy coffee, tea, chocolates, beauty products, all kinds of stuff um, in advent calendars. But I have a theory that there's two types of people. There's the type who open the thing every day, like you're supposed to do, but then there's the type who can't wait, and they open everything, <laughs> like when they get the calendar, right? And if you're one of those types, I think you're the type of people that binge watch the Netflix shows all night and watch, like, six seasons. It's just a theory, but... Um, those are the two types of people. So Advent has, every Sunday in Advent has a theme. And so this week we're going to talk about joy, okay? If you're, if you're really traditional, last week was actually the joy week, but don't tell anybody. We're going to talk about joy today. And so you might be thinking, all right, what does waiting have to do with joy, right? They're like antitheses of each other. When I'm waiting in line at Costco, I'm not feeling any type of joy, right? When I'm, when I'm waiting in traffic on 101, I'm not feeling joy, but... The Bible talks a lot about waiting, and we're going to look at a passage today that I think helps us get a perspective on waiting and how we can actually find joy um, in the times that we're waiting for things that we just don't know when, we don't know when the end is going to come, or we don't know when our desires are going to be fulfilled. So we're going to look at um, a passage from the book of Romans. We're going to look at chapter 8. The verses are going to be up here. You can open it up in your, in your Bible app or in your paper Bible if you still have one of those. Um, this is written by the Apostle Paul. So Paul was a church planter back in the first century, and he traveled all over planting churches, and he wrote a lot of letters, and a lot of those letters are in the New Testament of the Bible now. So the book of Romans is written by Paul. It's a letter to the, the followers of Jesus that he helped start, the church he started to help in Rome. And in this verse, um, we're going to read verses 19 through 25. So let me read that to you, <clears throat> starting in verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So what do we have going on here? We have creation waiting. The Apostle Paul right here is talking about creation in the sense of um, the non-human part of creation, because he talks about humans separately. And humans are part of creation, but he's talking about creation waiting. Why is creation waiting? Creation's waiting because it's frustrated. 
there's a sense of frustration that creation has. Why is it frustrated? So this frustration comes from not fulfilling its intentions. Whenever we or something is doing that it's not, it's not fulfilling the, the purpose that it was intended to do or not being used the way it was intended to be used, then there's often going to be frustration. Um, some of you might remember there was a show called MacGyver. There's a new one and there's an old one. I used to take some pride in knowing that I could MacGyver something out of, when I was repairing my car, for example, out of whatever tools I had at hand. So I would grab a flathead screwdriver and a pair of needle-nose pliers, and it's like, I could do anything to my car with these, right? <laughs> um, as I've gotten older, I realized that it's more prudent to actually buy the right tool for the job. And rather than spending four hours and getting a bunch of bloody knuckles and going to AutoZone six times, I could just get the right tool, and I could use it and be done in 30 minutes when you use it for its intended purpose. And so there's less frustration for the tool, less frustration for me. But in this case, creation is frustrated because it's not operating the way that God intended it to be. Um, we look back at the book of Genesis in chapter 1. God creates, he creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the fish and the seas and the birds and animals. And he creates humans. He, he declares it all good. He says, it is good. But not too long later, sin enters the world and, and things are broken. And then now creation and humanity are now frustrated because we are not living according to our intended purpose the way God designed us. And so there's groaning, but there's hope. In verse 21, there's, um, there's a hope that there will be liberation from this decay. this liberation from the bondage that happens from this brokenness. And that's part of the hope we're going to talk about today. Uh, let's go into verses 23 to 25. And what 22 to 25 say we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have been the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already have, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So in this passage, there's groaning. And Paul brings in the analogy of childbirth. I was going to talk about that, but I've also, in my older years, I've decided anytime you compare something to childbirth and your man, it just doesn't, it doesn't go well. So I'm not going to compare it to childbirth. Um, instead, I think of groaning like, you know, you've been sitting in a soft sofa for a long time, you try to get up, you're like, ugh. That's, that's groaning. See, some of you can relate to that, right? Um, and then Paul talks about first fruits. So that's kind of a strange word. Then the whole, the, it's really simple though. When you have a harvest of fruit or wheat or whatever you're growing, vegetables, the first fruits of the harvest are the first things you get. And really the whole point of Paul saying that is that this is like a, just a taste of things to come. This is like the appetizer. This is just to whet your appetite and there's a huge harvest to come. So the first fruits are really just kind of, it's a symbol of anticipation and waiting, waiting for more. There's more to come, all right? And then verse 25, 24 and 25, we see that there's hope. And the hope is that there's this adoption and redemption that's going to happen. And that's where we begin to, that's where we start talking about putting our hope. When there's waiting, when there's groaning, when there's frustration, there is a place to put our hope. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about the adoption and the redemption part. So in this, in this passage, we see the cycle. There's a cycle of frustration and anticipation. There's a cycle of longing and hope. It's a cycle of worry and peace, a cycle of despair and expectation. 
So we're going to dive a little deeper into three things from this passage. We're going to talk about longing, we're going to talk about waiting, and we're going to talk about hope. And we'll wrap up about how we can wait, how we can find joy in waiting. So first of all, longing. If you think about the Jews at Jesus' time, they, they had a lot of longing. They really felt like they were called to be God's chosen people. And uh, the scriptures tell us, and, and God spoke to them directly, saying, you will have favor with the nations, uh, you will have, live in abundance, you will live in safety, you will live with joy, uh, you will be a light. But if you understand the history of the Jews, they saw none of that. They experienced terrible suffering. They were, um, they were enslaved in Egypt, and uh, they were wandering around the desert. They're taken captive by the Babylonian Empire, and now they're under the, the subjugation of the Roman Empire. Um, they were in constant suffering, but their longing was to live out their intended purpose as the children of God. They are frustrated. They are groaning because they were not living out the purpose that God called them to. And they just, they were longing for this uh, time when they could actually be the people that God called them to be. <clears throat> I heard something during the pandemic I thought was kind of profound is that deep joy requires engaging sadness. Deep joy requires engaging sadness. Only when we're able to really empathize and ent or enter into the brokenness that we experience in our lives or the lives around us, <clears throat> can we truly experience the highs of the joy that God wants to bless us with? And I think, um, you know, for there, we have a lot to lament during the pandemic and, and even now, with just so many people I know have just lost so much from jobs to family to loved ones. Um, we've seen just brokenness around us from the racism and sexism that has just kind of bubbled to the surface in these past year or two. And I think we just have a hard time learn, knowing how to lament. The church, unfortunately, even though we've got the Bible, the whole book that's called Lamentations, we, we're not good at understanding how to grieve and lament these things. And so I think that's something we can learn from as a, as a church community to really enter into the grief, not only that we experience, but that the world is, is experienced around us. Because that's a pathway to understanding and experiencing the joy that God intends for us. So that's the longing part. Waiting... There's a psalm, a Psalm 13, that the psalms are a book of poetry in the Bible. And so um, in this psalm, the psalmist says in verse 1 and 2, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have my sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? This, this how long, how long, there's this waiting, there's this ex expectation, there's this... Um, when will it ever end is coming out from the psalmist. But if you keep reading along, where it's not joyful in the beginning with the how long part, in verse 5 and 6 he says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. There is joy in the waiting. The psalmist knows how to find it. He is asking how long, but he knows that in spite of my suffering, my longing, there is joy, there is hope in the end. We know where the, the, our hope lies because even if it's not the way we expected, God is working for our good. We see that later in Romans chapter 8, that if we understand the depth of God's love for us, we understand that he is almighty God who's in control of everything, then we can find hope because we know that he is in control and we can trust him. So that's the longing and that's the waiting. Then hope, hope points to the future, right? So hope is anticipating something that's going to happen. 
Um, and it's not just a delusional fantasy. It's really based on the past. Again, looking at the Jews, the Israelites, they, um, after they were wandering in the desert, they kept taking things into their own hands. They built the golden calf, if you're familiar with that story. And God has to keep reminding them, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. I'm the God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. He has to keep reminding them, but in our human brokenness and our sinfulness, we keep taking things into our own hands, and God has to keep reminding us, I'm the one who has saved you. I'm the one that you can depend upon. I'm the one that you should trust. I'm the one that you have your hope in. And so um, the problem is we start putting our hope in other false messiahs, right? We put our hope in finding fulfillment in, um, in our jobs, in building wealth and the things that we gather and accumulate. We put hope in that finding that right relationship with someone that will fulfill us. We put our hope in things that are temporary. We put our hope in finding positions of power, in, in building fame and getting well-known and building a reputation. We build our hope in having influence, which all these things can be a good thing, but when we put our ultimate hope in them, they're going to fail us because Jesus is the only one that won't fail us. Jesus is the only one who will ultimately give us meaning and purpose and offer us eternal life. None of these other false messiahs can offer that. It's all temporary. Uh, so three, thing, three things we can do to find joy in the waiting. Right? So the first thing is bring your longings to God. God sees us. He's not a distant God sitting on a cloud somewhere just kind of chuckling at our our mistakes and our messiness. He created us each personally. Psalm 139 says that God knit us together in our mother's womb. God knows us better than we even know ourselves. God knows what our needs are. And if we believe God loves us and he's in control, then we can trust God um, and put our hope in him. Even when we're suffering, even when we have unfulfilled longings. Um, even when our unfulfilled longings look like, God, how long will it be till I can start a family and I'm dealing with infertility? Or how long will it be till I can get out of debt? How long will it be till I can buy a house in this crazy Bay Area real estate market? Right? How long will it be till I can find a job that's fulfilling? How long will it be till I can find that person that I can spend my life with? There's all these unfulfilled longings that we sit and wait in. God sees us in all those things. Um, there's a story from the book of Genesis. There's a woman named Hagar, and she is the, she's a slave woman of one of the patriarchs uh, in the Bible, Abraham. She has a little boy, <clears throat> but Abraham's wife, Sarah, is so envious of her, she mistreats Hagar, and Hagar just can't, can't put, it up, put up with it anymore. So she's, she's saying, how long is this going to happen? I just can't take it, and she leaves to go to the desert with her son, and she thinks, even dying in the desert would be better than sitting here in Abraham's household getting mistreated by Sarah. And so in the midst of hunger and thirst and heat, she lies down, she puts her baby boy down, ready to watch him die, and she lies down to die herself. But an angel of the Lord comes, and the angel says, I see you. The angel says, I see you in your sufferings, I see you in the injustice that you're facing. Come back, I will bless you and your offspring through your son, and I will take care of you. And Hagar name, says to God, she says, she says, God, you are El Roy in Hebrew. And what does that mean? That means the God who sees me. Hagar says, you see me. You see me in my sufferings, and I put 
now put my trust and my hope in you. So, number one, bring your longings to God, the unfulfilled longings that cause us to be in these times of waiting where we question and doubt. Well, we can bring those to God because he sees us. Um, second, fix our eyes on Jesus. All right, so James chapter 5 talks about waiting for the Lord's coming. It says, you too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So he calls us to be patient in these waiting times. But in verse 11, it says why. This is why we can be patient. It says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So that's how we know we can trust in, trust in the Lord because of his character, his character of compassion and mercy. Um, our hope I'm just skipping some things I just realized. Our hope, is, um, our hope is really, it's real. Like I said, it's not delusional because once we start putting our eyes on ourselves, we, um, we start kind of wallowing in, in our own pity. And that's not to trivialize our sufferings. They're, our sufferings are very real. And we see, I see sufferings all around me and there are people I know persecuted around the world that are suffering, saying how long. There are people who are oppressed by, by unholy regimes that are just waiting for freedom. There are people who are in domestic abuse situations. How long before I can get out of this? There are people being trafficked by exploiters. How long will it be till I can get out of this? There are foster kids waiting for permanent families, saying how long till I can have, have a home? But we can, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he's full of, comf- of compassion and mercy. And we can, he gives us a fresh perspective. <clears throat> he gives us a new hope. So have any of you seen um, The Chosen? I guess not. Um, you have to watch it. I'm not here to promote a show, but so um, I know The Chosen gets, you kind of think, if you haven't seen it, you think there's no really good shows about Jesus, but you should check this one out. Um, every character in The Chosen, when they, when they realize, like all the disciples, the people who are following Jesus, when they realize, they get this glimmer of, of hope that maybe this is, could this man standing in front of me, Jesus, be the Messiah? Could this be the one that was sent, the Son of God, to save me and to save my people? And then there's this complete transformation. And I could talk about this with each one of the characters, but there's one character, Nicodemus, and we read about him in John chapter 3 in the Bible. But in the, in the chosen Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee, right? So that means he's one of the religious leaders. He lives a life of privilege. He's built a reputation, very well-respected. People come all over, from all over to hear him teach. Um, he knows the Bible in and out. That's his job. But then he sees Jesus do a couple of miracles. And he begins, he hears some of Jesus' teaching. And, and his world starts to turn upside down. He begins to think, could this be? We've been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah to come to save our people. Could this man be the person that I've been waiting for? Could this man be the person that our people have been waiting for all this time? Could this be the Messiah? And Nicodemus is his head. He can't wrap his head around this at all, but his heart, you see his heart start just filling with hope and his heart bursting. And there's this complete transformation that is just so powerful. It makes me cry when I think about Nicodemus in this movie. And, um, There's this hope because in the midst of waiting, waiting for hundreds of years that the Jews have waited, in the midst of of waiting, he gets this idea, this may be the one I can actually place my hope in. And this hope is just amazing. And just he, um, 
he doesn't know what to do with it. It's, he's just torn because he doesn't, it's not what he expected. God often works in ways that we just don't expect or we don't even understand. But when we put our faith in him, we know that he's full of compassion, he's full of mercy, he loves us immensely, <clears throat> and he's in control. So we can put our hope in him. Um, so bring our longings to Jesus, fix our eyes on him, and then let go of control. Right? There's this freedom in holding things loosely. Uh, there was a time in my 20s, not that long ago. <laughs> What's so funny? Um, I, uh, I would, so I'd graduated from college. I'd spent some time working as an engineer in the aerospace industry. And then I spent a year traveling with a Christian music ministry. And I came back and I felt like, okay, I think I know what God's plans are, me, are for me. And I feel like this is what God wants me to do. And in the meantime, um, my wife, Angela, and I had been dating. We were both living in Phoenix at the time. We're both living at home, but this is kind of what I felt like God's plans were. I'd go back into the stable and well-paying world of mechanical engineering. Um, Angela and I would get engaged, we'd get married, we'd move to a nice city, we'd buy a house, um, we'd find a good church, and I'd serve in the music ministry there. Um, maybe somewhere along the way, I'd go to business school and get an MBA. That was actually more my mom's plans than, than God's plans. <laughs> but, um, but you might be able to see where this is going. None of that really, it didn't happen the way I planned it. Then my life took a lot of twists and turns during that next season. And what really happened was there's this, it was about a year period where I just, um, I was saying, how long, God, before I can find a job? Um, how long till I can actually hear your voice again? Because I really felt like my prayers were just kind of hitting a wall and not going anywhere. And I, I honestly didn't see God working in my, in my life at all for that year or so. And it was a time of real waiting, but... At some point, I felt like God was just nudging me, and he was saying, um, Brian, just take a step of faith, and I'll take care of the rest. If you step out and trust me, I'll take care of the rest. And so for me at that time, the step of faith was just was to propose to Angela. And so finally, got my act together. I proposed to her. She said yes. And uh, a week later, she got a job in the Bay Area. She moved, yeah, she moved out here first. Uh, several months later, we got married. I moved out here, and then uh, a door opened for me to intern at a church in Palo Alto, and that just began kind of a whole new road, a new direction of uh, vocation into ministry, and I just, I never could have planned that out myself. I never could have controlled it or orchestrated it on my own, but um, once I finally let go of my plans, and once I took a step of faith, God started directing the rest. And so the letting go, it is an attitude. There's a letting go internally of stuff, but often there also has to be an action. There has to be a step of faith where God is saying, you need to do this. And once you step out, <clears throat> I'll take care of you. And I can just testify that. That is what God does. So we sang about knowing how the story ends, right? <clears throat> We actually operate in this bigger picture of this divine story that God is, God is weaving together. And we don't, we don't have that perspective of how it's all supposed to work out, but, um, but God does. Our loving and, and uh, almighty God does. In high school, one of my, my main identity was, a, was as a band geek. So I played the trumpet in the band. I was in marching band and concert band, jazz band, all that. So if you're in band orchestra, you know in your, in your music, if you saw a, a dark horizontal line with uh, two short vertical lines on the end with the number in between, what's that called? Anybody know? 
It's a rest. It's a multi-measure rest. You're not just resting. You're not playing for a bunch of measures, whatever that number is. All right, so what do you do during a multi-measure rest? Um, you don't look at the cute girl in the clarinet section. <laughs> That's a purely hypothetical situation. Um, you count, right? You're waiting. You're waiting during a multi-measure rest because you want to count all the measures, one, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, so that you come in at the right time. You don't want to come in early. You don't want to come in late. Because that's right, because when, if you do that, the band director is going to stop rehearsal and say, Brian, play measure 32, and that's another hypothetical situation, but you don't want that to happen, all right? So you're waiting actively during this multi-measure rest, but then I think the good part about waiting is that you realize when you come back in, you're adding your part to the big picture of the symphonic arrangement that the, the conductor is putting together and you're playing your part, you don't do everything, and you don't even see all the bigger picture that the, the composer and directors are putting together sometimes, but you have a part to play within this bigger <clears throat> piece. So we're living our lives, out, our lives out in this divine symphony that's being orchestrated by our good and loving heavenly creator. The prelude began with creation. I talked about the book of Genesis where God creates everything and calls it good. But shortly thereafter, in two chapters of the Bible, <clears throat> sin enters the picture. Humans, we decide to put ourselves before God. And when we do that, the brokenness happens. Our broken relationship with God, our broken relationship with each other, our broken relationship with creation. But as we fast forward through the symphony, one of the climaxes is Christmas, when Jesus enters the picture. When Jesus comes as a baby. And this is, I, I think this is not to be it's worth stopping to reflect that our almighty God who created the universe, he put the heavens and the earth into place, he divided the seas, at his voice the mountains tremble, he put the stars into place, the fullness of God comes to earth in a, a little vulnerable, fragile baby, a little sticky, gooey baby probably, and it's, and it's why we sing Emmanuel, when you sing Emmanuel, that means God with us. God comes to us. He doesn't just sit distantly and say, hey, come find me. Use your religion, do good things, whatever, I'm over here. He comes to us, and, and Jesus comes to enter into the sufferings of the plight of humanity, to understand the, the things that we go through, to understand the temptations we face, to understand the longings that we feel, to understand the waiting and the brokenness that we encounter, and even the, just the loss and the grief that we often experience in our lives and that we see around us. Jesus comes to do that. That's why we sing the hopes and fears of all these years are met in thee tonight. All of those hopes and fears, they're met in the baby Jesus. But that's not the end of the symphony. <clears throat> like Jesus, when God sends Jesus into the earth to be human, he's thinking of Brian. When God sends Jesus to the earth to be human, he's thinking of Pastor Daniel. God sends Jesus to the earth to be human. He's thinking about each one of us. It's this magnitude of love that is just something that is beyond our comprehension. And it brings us into the intermission where we wait. The next holiday on the Christian calendar is Easter. And at Easter, this is the ultimate climax, that we realize that Jesus died on the cross, a humiliating, a torturous death. It was horrific. And he, was, he does that in order to pay the penalty. He's a perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for for the sins of you, the sins of me, the sins of all humanity, the sins that we've committed in the past, the sins we're going to commit in the future, so that we can have an intimate relationship with our, 
our perfect and holy heavenly creator. Because God is holy, and us and all of our brokenness, we can't come before him without being consumed unless we believe in Jesus and we take on Jesus' righteousness. And we can come and then we can come into God's presence and we can have that relationship, the right relationship that is broken way back in Genesis chapter 3. So we can have eternal life, we can have hope, we can have a life that's free from judgment, a life that's free from our sinful nature. And that's why we also sing... From that carol, Holy Night, we sing, the weary world rejoices. The weary world rejoices. Right? The world, we just look around us, the world is weary, it's dark, there's brokenness, there's, there's abuse, there's oppression, there's, there's pain, there's a lot of pain. But the weary world can rejoice because we've been given the gift of Jesus, and we just need to take that gift and enter into the joy, enter into the freedom that we're offered by it. We're doing baptisms today, which you heard, and baptisms are this beautiful picture of bearing the old life, bearing the sinful nature, leaving the old behind with Jesus, and in Christ being raised again to new life. Like I said, a life of freedom. It's a life where there's joy, a life where there's meaning, a life where there's purpose, where we can live with hope in the midst of suffering, in the midst of waiting. I know it's scary to take a big public step of faith like, faith like this sometimes, but if you're ready to get baptized today and you haven't already signed up, we have a table where you can, we're ready for you. We've got all the stuff you need. I urge you to, this might be the step of faith where you let go of control and God says, nudges you forward, do this and I'll take care of the rest. Take that step and I'll take care of the rest. And if you're not quite ready to be baptized, maybe you've never even taken the step of putting your trust in Jesus. If that's the case, then I would just encourage you to take that step today, to say, God, I, I'm tired of doing life on my own. I want to experience your unconditional love for me. Uh, help me to put my faith in you as the one that I can actually put my ultimate hope in, to give my life purpose and meaning, to give my life direction under your loving and your guiding hand. If you want to do that, put that on your Connect card. Come talk to me or Pastor Daniel after service or someone at the Connect table, um, the Connection Center. We would, love to, we would love to pray with you about that. We'd love to walk that journey with you, um, a journey of faith that goes into, <clears throat> into joy. So I'm going to pray for us. Then I'm going to share a verse uh, kind of as a benediction before we move into the next song. God, thank you that in the midst of darkness, you are the light of the world. You call us to reflect that light as well, Lord, but we can only do that by the power of your, uh, your work in us, by your transforming power. As we wait on you, as we, as we lift up our burdens to you, as we lift up the pain that we feel, as we lift up the, the sufferings that we see around us and the brokenness, um, help us to turn our eyes to you. Hebrews says you're the author and perfecter of our faith, and so help us, Lord, to put our faith in you, put our hope in you, because it is only you that we find our true purpose. And so, God, we just trust you for that. We thank you for joy, and we pray that there will be joy in the times when we are, when we are waiting, and we anticipate your return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to leave you with a verse from Romans that I think it just, it's a really good benediction. And benediction just means it's from Latin, good word. So this is a good word from the Bible to all of us, which I think is really appropriate. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.